Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for the questions coming from our audience of Smith Weekly, including Brent S., Cindy W., Paul M., and Dave V. On the show today is Walter Coles Sr. Walter is President, CEO, and Chairman of Virginia Energy Resources, a uranium development company that owns the Coles Hill uranium deposit in South Central Virginia, United States. The company is listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol VUI and also on the US OTC markets under the symbol V-E-G-Y-F. Mr. Coles, welcome to the show, and how are you doing, sir? Doing well, and thank you for having us on. Absolutely, Walter. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show, and it's been tough to get you on. I know the company's been very busy going through various difficult court proceedings over the years, and uh, why don't we start off here, Walter, with maybe your background, experience, and professional career going back over the years. Well, I'm a graduate of a military school, the Citadel, down in Charleston, South Carolina. I was in class of 61. Immediately after, I was on active duty for six months, then worked as an industrial engineer in a furniture plant. After four years, I went back on active duty with assignment directly to Vietnam. And I served two tours in the military. I was a captain of artillery. And then afterwards, returned back to Vietnam on, with the pacification program in the P Department of State for another five years where I stayed till we were evacuated in 1975. After that, I became a career foreign service officer and had assignments or worked or lived in about 25 different countries around the world. Uh, in the last decade before I retired was mostly working in the countries of the former Soviet Union and market reform and the privatization of the government assets in those countries. I retired around 2003, turned home where I grew up and uh, restarted a cattle business and grain business. And then in 2007, with the spike in uranium prices, I decided to restart our own company uh, developed the uranium sources at Coles Hill. And so that's where we are today. Well, very well, and really appreciate your service, uh, certainly in the military, and it sounds like a wide-ranging set of experiences, and I think that certainly good to have those kind of experiences coming out of that over your career. Well, give us just a little bit of history, Walter. Maybe take us back to the story about how you became aware that there was a uranium deposit on the family property at Coles Hill. How did this come about, and who motivated you to look at advancing the project? Well, actually, it goes back to 1977, when a company out of Canada was looking for uranium resources up and down the East Coast. The geology along parts of the East Coast, particularly along a fault line that runs from North Carolina through Coles Hill up to uh, New York, is similar to uh, the geology in Canada where they had found 
large deposits of uranium back in the 50s and 60s. So they were looking for uranium along that fault line from North Carolina to New York. And as results of exploration and uh, use of a Geiger counter, they hit a hot spot along Coles Hill, the road that separates the property. And then they began uh, drilling operations and discovered that it was a major deposit here that was economically at that time to recover. You should note that uranium is everywhere in our environment, but in most places, probably over 99%, it's not concentrated sufficient to economically uh, mine it. Coles Hill, as it turns out, had a heavy concentration of uranium in a single deposit that was economically viable, and the company named Marlon began to exploit it and confirm that the deposit was economically culpable. But at that time, uh, by 1980, the price of uranium began to tank and uh, the company dissolved itself and withdrew. Then in 2005, after I had retired and returned to Coles Hill, uranium was beginning to spike again and geologists and investors from all over the world were aware that the Coles Hill deposit was the largest undeveloped uh, deposit in the United States and the seventh largest in the world. And by 2005, price began to not peak, but it gotten up to in the 60s and $70 range. And by 2007 or eight, it had reached $160 a pound. As a result, investors became to visit here from all over the world. The major companies, Rio Tinto, uh, coal companies, Cameco, and individual investors began visiting Coles Hill and, and seeking me out and wanting to buy the property. They even wanted to remove my ancestral home to another location so that they would have complete control of all of the property. At this point, I decided that that was not a good idea for our family and for the community. And the best approach would be to form our own company, which I did with a neighbor who also owns portions of the order body. It's a born family. So together we formed Virginia Energy Resources and Virginia Energy. Very well. Appreciate that overview and, and history, and there's a lot going on, and Union Carbide was, was also there, and, and I think you refer to the uh, Canadian uranium as the Elliott Lake Historic Uranium District as well that was pretty popular back in those those days. Certainly, we have before us another situation in the uranium supply-demand fundamentals where we are looking at a potential early 2000s time frame where we have a price increase, 2016, $18 a pound. Now, 2020, here we are at $32, $33 a pound, and it obviously is pointing to an upward trajectory. Well, let's talk, Walter, just uh, about the local community. As you said, you've been there, your family's been there for a long time. You've been with the community for a long time. Talk about Pennsylvania County and all the time that you've lived there at Coles Hill, and of course your family has, 
Would you say that more people are really supportive of the project at this point rather than against it? And, and how has the local appetite been over the many years? And do you see it better or worse at this point? Well, in the 1970s and, and early 80s, the support by the community was extensive. In fact, a majority of the population and the Chamber of Commerce business groups were all very, very supportive. Since that time of the, 19, the early 1980s, environmental groups uh, became very uh, active, very well financially supported, and they, from the very beginning, uh, beginning in late 1980, were against any kind of mining and uh, anything that they felt would have a negative impact on the environment. And so they increasingly up through the 2007 and 8 became a very vocal and powerful group throughout the East Coast. And there were many of these groups that were formed. One is the Environmental Center in, in Charlottesville and other groups like that that have made a fortune on being active against mining and uranium in particular, and are able to raise substantial resources to uh, challenge any sort of development, particularly in the mining sector. Since, as far as local community goes today, with neighbors and, and so forth, Walter, how is the folks just in the county there, are they split between against the project and for the project? Have Have you seen that decline? Has environmental groups that you're speaking of my suspicion is they don't even live in that county, and there are probably other national groups. Uh, can you speak just a little bit more to that? Yes, they are groups from outside of the county. The Southern Environmental Law Center, which has been one of the most active, is out of Charlottesville, Virginia. And then uh, the other groups uh, throughout the state and out of the state that are, are active. But as, as far as support in the county, it's split about 50-50. But many of the local leaders and uh, our neighbors are investors in the company. That sounds great. And, you know, the Coles Hill uranium deposit is actually very low grade and it's at surface. You know, and I say low grade with just comparing to what we have currently in Canada in Athabasca Basin. Of course, we've seen lower grade deposits, very economical, very useful over in Namibia, West Africa, as you know, is a is a big uranium mining jurisdiction. Um, of course, Australia, but generally it's pretty low grade at surface. And you've lived there for many decades and your family has even nearby and on top of that deposit. You know, opponents talk about safety and drinking water, but it appears they don't understand low-level radiation, as you pointed to earlier, which, you know, we're exposed to every day in our normal lives. And yet you've lived there all your life, and you're drinking the water as well. What's your comments on that, Walter? Not only are we drinking the water, but my ancestors and uh, drank the water here from 1785. And my great-grandfather lived to be 95 years old. We know of no instance where the uranium had a negative impact on the health and welfare of the community and, and as well as their ability to produce agricultural products such as livestock, tobacco, wheat, corn, and all types of vegetables have been successfully grown here uh, since 1785. 
it's funny you mentioned that because there are certain fertilizer products that uh, have trace uranium in it. And we use those products, potassium, phosphate, we use those products. <laughs> we use those for farming. And so, you know, we also eat bananas often and, and we jump on an aircraft and take a flight from Los Angeles to New York. So this type of low-level radiation exists uh, almost constantly in our lives. So you've been there for a long time. You know the policies of Virginia come out of policymakers who spend their time in Richmond um, and often lose sight of smaller economically challenged communities and counties. There is a history of mining in Virginia, as you know. Dangerous activities like coal mining, coal-fired power generation has occurred in Virginia for decades, arguably killing people and polluting places as far as the mining goes, and then also the power plants, coal-fired power plants. And so today, you've got four nuclear reactors in operation owned by Virginia Electric and Power, providing arguably the cleanest form of energy to Virginia and surrounding states using uranium fuel. The same thing you propose to mine to support U.S. energy independence. So these reactors carry certain risks and they're located in densely populated and environmentally sensitive areas, Walter. Why the hypocrisy in Virginia? Is it just ignorance? And also, can I ask you if Virginia Power, are they in favor of the Coal Seal Project? Uh, we went to visit them uh, when we got started and they did not want to take a political position one way or the other because of their interest in coal and their interest in being forced to some extent to get involved in alternative energies such as wind power and solar. So they stepped aside and did not support us uh, throughout a decade of trying to develop uranium industry here in Pennsylvania County. And as far as I know, that position has not changed with them. How about the oddness of just, the, you know, the state of Virginia has nuclear power reactors, yet they're sourcing their fuel requirements from other states and arguably from other countries, including Russia, and potentially also countries in Africa and other places to source their fuel. What's your thoughts on that? Well, it's very disappointing, of course, to us. We thought from the very beginning that they would be, have been our strongest ally and uh, they have not been. I guess that's sort of the history of our times, uh, current events, where so many people and groups are taking political decisions that have no common sense at all, nor economic sense. You would have thought the nuclear power industry here would be the outspoken and, and very strong supporter of, of nuclear power and argue for its benefits they have not done. In fact, the, the nuclear group here were going to add a third plant to their facility in Northern Virginia and withdrew their application. So I don't know really where they stand today, but I do know that there's a growing interest, as you know, in uh, many nuclear power plants. And that may be the future of the nuclear sector and potentially using Coles Hill as a supply of nuclear fuel. Yeah, absolutely. And we've just had a startup in China just recently and uh, this year, and we've had a startup in the UAE as well. Uh, so two new startups this year, to my recollection here, and there's a few others that are coming online that have been slightly delayed as a result of COVID, but those are, are certainly coming online shortly. Now, and, you know, let me go back just for a moment, you know, to your earlier comment. You're absolutely right. I mean, as you know, the United States imports a significant, overwhelming amount of uranium fuel from foreign sources. And of course, 
there should be a reason to start looking towards independence on that side, especially if nuclear power is going to become a core focus for clean energy going forward, which I believe it will be. And so I think we're at an early stage of that starting to gain traction in the public here to start to realize that nuclear power has a significant future and that things like coal and gas and oil and solar and wind and hydro can't even come close to what nuclear can provide going forward for the planet. Now, let me ask you just a little bit about the the timing for this project and, of course, the initial uranium mining ban that was put into place in 1982, if I recall. The same year, I believe, Union Carbide was looking, uh, with their partner, was looking to start mine planning work. And, of course, this happened, the ban happened post the Three Mile Island nuclear accident, which, of course, the containment design worked as intended. And, by the way, everyone, of course, was you know, emotional about anything nuclear at that stage. Then, of course, uranium prices came up and then were generally down until 2001. And then it started to climb substantially by 2007, as you talked about earlier. Then Fukushima hits, of course, in March 2011. And then, of course, another push was being done at that time to get the project up and running. So timing's been a real pain in the rear. Here we are again, initial stages of another uranium supply demand imbalance. What do you see really, Walter, is the way forward here to at least allow an application process? The application process is currently banned by the state of Virginia. So the only way that we could proceed with an application to mine it is if there was legislation that would overturn the ban, number one, or if through the courts, the courts rule in our favor that we could proceed uh, with the application on the grounds that the taking of our property was unconstitutional. So the court case would be the last resort in turning over the ban. And we have not made a decision as to what extent we would proceed further or some other route as a way to get an application before the Department of Mines and Minerals in the state of Virginia. Walter, just the circuit court case that just closed uh, recently here, what was the elements behind having the court case over and tried in Wise County? What was the reason with the county differences? One reason that Wise County is a, you know, has a century-old history of mining, and we felt that having a circuit the case tried that had some uh, positive benefit, and it didn't work that way. Uh, the judge uh, ruled against us, and we don't know precisely why. We're still reviewing his decision, and we'll make a determined option sometime in the near future. And I'm still reading the opinion, and even the judge admits that the state has deprived certain rights of freedom, property rights, and then backpedals in the opinion by using kind of a broad sweeping greater good concept, which is based on an assumed future failure to responsibly mine with proven means and methods in a jurisdiction, the United States, which has the most strict and highest standards for construction of mines and infrastructure, as you know, and how that construction and mine operations impacts and mitigates environmental concerns. So, Walter, as you said, the ban does preemptively stop the permitting process, certainly within the state. I'm still wondering about the federal process, but isn't the judge incorrectly being a regulator in advance to the federal and state application process? 
Well, uh, you know, I really can't comment on that at this point because it's under review and our attorneys would be the ones that comment in that direction. I think it's too early for us to make a decision or a comment on the judge's ruling. Very well, sir. And what about the nuisance law, which I know that was discussed, and and maybe you can offer some comments on it. And and if you can't, I understand. But I want to go back to a historical example in which I understand that tobacco was grown at Coles Hill. And if you had a neighbor that was against growing tobacco for its use in cigarettes and the impacts that cigarettes might have on your health, could the nuisance law be really used to block any activity on your property, Walter, whether it was a golf course, a coal mine, a wind farm, a solar field, a nightclub. I mean, all of these activities could be perverted to call it a nuisance. So what activity isn't offensive to someone these days, Walter, that could use the nuisance law as an excuse to block anything? Well, I guess that's correct. It's being used time and time again against the pipelines and other types of uh, development. So we'll just have to wait and see. Okay. And so we have a an agreement state program in which, uh, under the NRC, of course, which the 39 states have signed on to, including Virginia. But it's a little bit silly because if they are an agreement state, but they don't have the regulations on the uranium side established, I'm not quite sure how they're even in compliance because typically agreement states have those frameworks in place, or at least most of them, uh, certainly the ones that have uranium mining at this point in time in the United States. But again, these regulations are literally copied, Walter, from federal regulations. And if needed, you can take them from other states since they've developed them uh, with the same level of integrity and high standards. But since Virginia has failed to act, arguably in bad faith since 1982, at what point must they just adopt the federal mining regulations if they refuse to act on their own? Well, I don't think that they are headed in that direction because of the cost to develop the regulations and the cost to staff the the division mines and minerals that provide the oversight. So it's probably more reasonable to use the agreement situation that they have today where the the federal government would manage the oversight. And they are already staffed up. They have the trained individuals in place. to to, They they could start the process tomorrow. So I don't think there's going to be a movement uh, for Virginia to become fully staffed with the professionals to monitor one mining operation in the state. Yeah, my thought is on that, as you know, Walter, this is not rocket science. This is These are regulations that have been around. I mean, uranium has been mined in the United States, I believe, going back to the 40s. I might even be conservative on that estimate. So it's nothing new. It's nothing overly complicated. And as you said, there's plenty of regulations out there that can be essentially copied and pasted. It's very, very a simple understanding and situation. But my thought is here is, as far as I can tell, and I'm no expert on permitting, but the project will require at some point the blessing and approval of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers led by an environmental impact study that also has review inputs from the EPA and a number of other federal agencies, including the NRC. So my question is, is why not initiate the EIS process under the National Environmental Policy Act to demonstrate either federal rejection of the project or acceptance. What's your thoughts on that? 
Well, my thoughts are that investors are not prepared to seek that route right now. I don't think that's even a topic that's of high priority right now as we determine what options we might would take. Okay. Yeah, I just thought that that kind of study, although there will be certainly some costs involved for that, if folks like the U.S. Army Corps can buy off on such a study, then of course that would have potentially some impact with the state's view on, hey, if the feds are, are saying that this is, is reasonable and what's been proposed is reasonable and they're willing to permit such an act, then why can't we maybe basically jump on the same bandwagon and get going is my thought. So let's talk just a little bit more toward, has the uranium mining band ever been considered? Has it ever been popular enough, Walter, in Virginia to maybe put on a ballot where people can vote? to consider for themselves rather than just having some administrator in Richmond continuing to ignore the issue? It has not been a topic of discussion. Let's talk a little bit more towards the uh, the capital structure of the company for a moment. You know, today the company has 57 million shares outstanding, a little over that amount, which is the same amount since January 2013, Walter a pretty nice job of preserving the share capital of the shareholders for all these years, uh, covering all the legal costs that you guys have dealt with over the last seven and a half years. What was the thought process behind how you guys handled the funding, the legal issues while preserving the uh, share structure? Well, we had several uh, uh, revenue raising activities over the last decade, particularly uh, in 2007, 2008. Those funds were used primarily for exploration. Uh, we drilled uh, 10 more holes in addition to the ones that Union Carbide drilled. And then a great deal of that money that was raised was used for lobbying and to try to get the ban removed using legislation to do that. Of course, we were unsuccessful. And because then again, the price of uranium began to tank again, investors certainly were not interested in pursuing additional work here in Virginia, considering the current environment, and so we're at a standstill. And how about the, I guess, the administrators in Virginia, Walter? I see that we've continued to basically have more I guess along party lines, it's always been mostly a Democratic Party that's been running the the legislature and also the governor post. Do you see that that, that is an issue that's maybe should be really across party lines as far as Democrat or Republican uh, running, you know, the Capitol in Richmond? Do you see that Republican administrators would be more likely to come back and take a look at this uranium ban and, and realize that, you know, this was in 1982, things have significantly changed and, and nuclear power continues to be a dominant force moving forward for not only the United States, but for the globe. Do you see that a change in enrichment needs to occur in order potentially to get this passed through? Or what's your thoughts on, you know, trying to come across and getting parties to agree? Uh, I think it's really too early to comment on that until after this current election. You know, it's, uh, I don't know whether fortunately or unfortunately, the energy sector is not a topic of uh, debate among the candidates in the state of Virginia at this point in time. It should be a topic, but it is not. Yeah, a little bit more of a topic on the presidential side as far as, you know, the uh, 
the country as a whole, there's certainly some discussion about, you know, environment and energy and so forth. Well, as you know, Sprott and Energy Fuels and some other strategic shareholders have supported the company in the past. Um, my understanding was that, that Sprott eliminated this position last year from last I saw anyway. What support do you expect to see from key investors going forward, Walter? And how do you see financing further efforts to advance the project? I think it's really too early to, to know because we haven't determined what our options are going to be. And those options would sort of drive any future finance that might be needed or take place. So I don't think any investor is ready to come to the table until we can provide some justification, the next steps that we might take. Understood. And Walter, as you know, I just always like to ask this as we get ready to close out the show, but uh, you know, there's a good core group of investors that remain at, at uh, Virginia Energy Resources. And of course, they respect the fact that you guys have done a nice job at the management level of respecting and, and being a steward of investor capital. Why should investors today who are listening to the audience, why should they consider taking a stake in Virginia Energy now? And what would you say to potential new investors who are listening? Well, I would say uh, let's wait and see. I don't think this is a time to discuss raising additional money. That would come later on after we have some positive news to report uh, as to options that we may take in the next uh, year or so. You know, you, you really don't have anything to offer at this point in time, except what we do know is that the largest undeveloped uranium deposit is located at Coles Hill, and at some point it's going to be developed. We just have to be patient and uh, develop the uh, political and uh, financial support as we move forward. And Walter, going forward here, as you guys continue to, to move through and work on, you know, management structure and, of course, you know, succession plans and so forth, what's the plan on that front? And just maybe speak to that, Walter, as the years go on here. Is Walter Jr. going to continue to stay with the company? What's kind of the plan ensuring a good group of people behind management if things continue to drag out? I think the same group would be behind management, including the current board and, of course, Walter Jr. Current plans is that there would be no change in management or the board at this time. And how can investors, uh, anybody who's interested, how can they reach out to the company, Walter, for more information? You can reach out through our public relations firm, Capital Results, down in Richmond. And folks can go over to their website, virginiaenergyresources.com. Well, Walter, any other comments before we, we wrap up here? I don't think so. I think we've covered it in detail, and we look forward to moving forward. Okay, well, let's leave it there for now, Walter. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Uh, you uh, keep up the good efforts and uh, stay well and, and stay the course, sir. All right, thank you very much, Andrew. We appreciate you getting in touch with us.